0: Hey, I just want to welcome all our online viewers, Facebook, YouTube, our online platform. I want to welcome all of you at our locations. My name is Pastor Derek. I want to thank you for coming to Connect Church today. Hey, listen, if you're not aware, we started a series. uh, This is our third week. Two weeks ago, we started a series on core values. If you're out there, write it in the chat. Say it out loud. Core values. Now, most churches... Evangelical churches have a similar mission or, you know, uh, mandates from scripture that they follow, but they have unique or different uh, distinctives. Now, what kind of helps us find our distinctives, which influence how we feel when we get together, is our, is our core values. Core values uh, influence our culture, our culture. Core values are fixed. Beliefs that affect behaviors and our behaviors affect our culture. Now, what's interesting about culture culture's like jello, it's kind of hard to get a hold of. Um, So, I'm doing my best to try to explain it to you right out of the gate. But listen, culture is more. Uh, It's less what you see and say, it's more what you feel, what you feel, what you feel. And so we are talking about seven uh, core values as a church. We talked about in week one, church is a core value. Come on, somebody say church, church. And we have these sticky statements that we, we want you to know for those of you who, whether it be online or you consider us kind of a church that you follow or you're in person, uh, if we're your church, you need to know these sticky, sticky statements. We are one big family, and so our core value, church, our sticky statement: we're one big family. So, when in other words, when we say church, we think family. We think in familial terms. Now, when the body, when the church talks about, excuse me, when the scriptures talk about church, it uses the terms. Uh, a body, sometimes army, sometimes tree, but we we talked about the church as a body, and that a body is meant to grow. It's meant to mature. Uh, the body has a unique design for it. You know, uh, what is what's Phelps, the uh, the famous Olympic swimmer? You can tell Ben Johnson, the track and field star. You can tell by the way they their uniqueness what they were in fact designed to do. Now we learned that salvation happens in Christ, but growth happens in the body of Christ. So Devin comes in week two, and he did a fantastic job. So proud of you, son. Great job. And he introduces our second core value, which is growth. Growth. We, our sticky statement was healthy, healthy things grow. And he had great things to say about growth. And, and, and as a church, uh, we need to be a, a home for the hungry. People who want to grow, and, and they want to grow uh, through consumption. They want to grow, um, uh, you know, through their their calendar. They want to grow in community with other people. It's a fantastic message. You want to go back and you want to check that out. But today, we're not talking about what is church. We're not talking about what happens in church. Today, we're going to talk about what happens through the church, through the church. And we're going to talk about the core value of generosity, generosity. And our sticky statement is this. We live to give. Now, you may not know this about me, especially those of you who are online watching, perhaps even around the world. But I love to give. I've been raised in a home that uh, had a strong uh, core value of generosity. My daddy and my mom were, are and were very generous, generous people. And so it influenced me, it affected me. It's in, my, it's in my DNA. I always look, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I give to this or to that? And I'm very grateful for that, that heritage and that lineage. But one of the things that I think... Helped me, and I think it will help you. And I, I couldn't articulate this when I was younger, but I discovered it in the Word of God, a kind of a secret uh, sauce to giving and to being a generous person. Um, I want to share it with you, but first let me just ask you a question. How many of you, by a showing of hands, uh, grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. You're church people, okay? You went to church every single week. You know, you didn't miss a Sunday. I, I grew up in church. We, we, we went to church every single We never missed church. Uh, we, we go to church on vacations. Oh, my God, like, give us a break, Lord. <laughs> but we were always going to church. And the motivation when I was young was simple. It, it was, I didn't want to go to hell, right? It's a two-syllable word, Hail. I didn't want to go to hell. And, and we were told when we went to church, for the most part, to do this. This is right. To do that. That is right. And, and we, we didn't really want to, but we did. Sort of. Um, and, and, and this was my Christianity. This was my early years kind of experience. It was more a have to than a want to. What's interesting about have to, want to is they're, 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 both approaches have truth to them, but they have different outcomes. From them in the process, one is, one is more law, one is more spirit, one is more rules, one is more relationship and relational. And this is where it all went wrong for me, and maybe it went wrong that way for you. Because in everything that God has given us to do, He wants it to be a, a get-to, not a got-to. He wants it to be, listen, a blessing and not a burden, Burden, operative word. Uh, your first scripture in your notes, I think, is first John chapter 5, verse 3, and it says, the commandments of God are not what? Burdensome. I'm thinking to myself, well, they have been. Or you might think, well, they are. Like, in other words, doing right, doing this, doing that is hard. It's straight up hard. Like, I don't want to. And if I am doing it, I'm doing it for obligation i'm doing it i'm doing it because it's it's it's, it feels like a burden because i have to not because i because i got to and my experience is that there's no place perhaps where this burden shows up more than when it comes to uh being a giver uh being generous um giving away your resources and so question how how do you see giving how do you see giving as a christ follower My daddy used to teach me a um, contrast between these two approaches. Um, He used to say, in regards to giving, he used to say, it's an opportunity, not an obligation. He used to say, it's a lifestyle thing, not a legal thing. It's not a debt I owe, son, it's a seed. So I hope you remember that as we go forward and I hope you see the differences and frankly in all areas of relationship with God it's supposed to be the same way. In other words it's a privilege for me to pray not I have to pray. Look look at the difference I have to pray. It's awesome to go to church. Sundays can't come around soon enough. Uh, I love to read my Bible. It's not a rule book. It's a roadmap for where I'm going in life. Are you getting this? I hope you're getting this, okay? So there's this motivation that God wants to put inside of us with all of these core values, but I want to talk about it as it relates to generosity. So I'm going to give you three kind of principles under this core value, but first let's get into this motivation one. Number one motivation is God isn't after your money. He's after or he's all about your heart. Look what it says in Philippians 2. I'm going to give you two different translations of Philippians 2.13. It says God is working in you. Everybody say in you. Who does it? God does it. To make you do two things. To be willing and able to obey him. See, I don't think we see that. See, God wants to give you that want to. Philippians 2.13, the New Living says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the corresponding power to do what pleases Him. So He doesn't want you to just do it just because it's right. He wants, you to, he wants to give you the desire to it. He wants to give you the power to do it. He wants to give you the willingness to do it. So when you give, We don't give just out of need. That's okay. We don't give out of obligation. I don't think that's okay at all. We don't give out of guilt. I am definitely not for guilt giving. I don't think God is. I think I hate that approach. I know he hates that approach. But God wants you to to have your why, your why. And throughout this message, I think you'll see more of that why. But think about this for a second. Do you like it when people do something for you because they have to? See, I think when it comes to giving, if we're giving to God because we have to, I think he's kind of like you would be. I think he's like, keep it. Don't bother. You know, I got it. And he does got it. It's you that need to give it. Okay, so God isn't looking for you to just do something right. He's looking for you to do something with the right Heart. Oh my gosh, this is so good. So God wants to appeal to your heart to give, your desire to your willingness. Now, an example is in First Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, David, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, he gives the largest single offering recorded in the Bible. And commentaries reveal that, first of all, he was given this offering to the house of God to build the house of God. Because the church had been rolling around on a cart in a box. Uh, and then people would, they would pop, it would be like a pop-up tent. Wherever they go, they would put this tent up, and they would worship, and then they'd break it down. And and it was just like, it's kind of like mobile church today. It's kind of like what we had to do in Framingham at the school not too long ago. It's kind of like what we're going to have to do. uh, Come on, somebody, in Tri-County when we launch our third campus. Can I have an amen out there that's coming? But he wanted... David looked over what was going on and said, I want I want my God to have a permanent house. Here I am in his nice house and he's in a box and he's in a tent. He needs a house. And so he he's he's motivated to do something about what he sees. And he gives a single offering that was twenty one billion dollars equivalency today to twenty one billion dollars out of his own personal treasuries. And he leads from the front, hoping that everybody will follow with the same willingness and joy. Now, insert, I want to say something to you as I talk about this subject, and I don't do this, and I hope it's right. I'm kind of like, Lord, just tell me if I shouldn't or should. Um, But my wife and I model this as well. I told you I, I, I I love to be generous, but we model this in our church as well. We're like David. We don't ask you to do something when it comes to giving to the house of God, specifically to Connect Church, that we don't do ourselves. We've been tithers for almost 30 years, faithfully, never missed. Not a month, not once, ever. Uh, we, we, we bring offerings when there's a need. We, we ju- we, we've done several this month. Uh, just when we, we meet different needs that are uh, about. So I just want you to know something. It doesn't matter what or how much, but that's our heart. We practice what we preach. And I think it's important for you to hear from somebody who has conviction about what it is I'm in fact telling you. We live this. It's changed our life. But, but David did this too. He modeled it. As a leader, I think leaders should lead from the front when it comes to these things. And if they're not, I'm not sure you should be following them or listening to them. But 1 Chronicles 29.3 says this. Moreover, David speaking, I have set my affection on the house of my God. Hashtag I love my church. And I have given to that church over and above. And we know that was $21 billion. Oh, all that I have prepared for the holy house of my own special treasure of gold and silver. Then he asks this question, he says, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? In other words, who's willing to follow suit? Who's willing to kind of follow my lead? Because David believed what I believe, and I hope you come to the belief as well. Listen, parenthetically, if God's plan A is the church of Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be investing in it? And David believed what I believe is that the church is the best investment on earth that we can make. And I don't know who else believes that, but I believe some of you that do believe that are blessed for that. First, uh, verses 6 and 9, look what happened when David did it. He said, then the leaders and the officers and the commanders and, and the officials, they all followed suit and they gave willingly toward the work on the temple. By the way, I'm not taking an offering today. I'm just teaching on generosity. If you want to give one, you can. But then it says the people all rejoiced. Look at they're happy at the willing response of their leaders for they have given freely. That's what God wants. He wants you to be a cheerful and free giver freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. Then later in verse 17, David said, all these things I did willingly. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people did it as well. This is the heart of a giver. Now, listen, <clears throat> if if we're not giving with that heart. In other words, if giving's not one of the highest joys in your life, is it possible, honestly, that maybe it doesn't fulfill its purpose if we're not giving with that cheerfulness, if we're not giving with that willingness? Uh, in fact, Second Corinthians 8 says this, and it kind of rubs me, and hopefully it, it affects you too. Second Corinthians 8, 12 says, For if the willingness is there, then the gift, and it doesn't say then, I put it there, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. In other words, or conversely, if the willingness is not there, is the gift acceptable? See, God clearly from his word, I know this much, he wants you to have it from your heart. He wants you to give it from your heart. So, number two, this is important. You don't need seed, but you do need to sow. You don't need seed, but you do need to sow. Now, in these principles, underneath the core value of generosity, one of them is the law, it's an unbreakable law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Now, there's been some poor teaching on sowing and reaping. There's some been abusive teaching on it. But for, for all intents and purposes, when the scriptures are talking about sowing and reaping, it's referencing resources. Could it apply to other things like your words and your attitudes? Absolutely. But most of the time, and most theologians would agree, it's referring to your resources. Sowing, as a principle, is the best stock trader's tip, insight, kind of leader's financial insight that you could get. And a lot of us, we are preoccupied more with other things that can cause us to prosper so that we can be a blessing then we are this law that always works. It will work if you will work it. Galatians 8.22 says, seed time and harvest. It's never going to cease. It's always going to be there. It's a law. But there are revelations that God has for you regarding the law of sowing and reaping. Let me give you a couple of those from a really key text that talks about sowing and reaping. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. Look it up if you can in your notes. Here's what it says. It says, now he, God, supplies seed. Everybody say seed. And, and uh, to the sower. And then he provides bread uh, for food. Now, I want to kind of break this down for you because I want to start right here and just say, God gives you seed to sow. You don't. God gives you the seed. God gives you bread to meet your need. God gives you seed to sow and bread to meet your needs. So every time you get paid, every time you get resources, every time you receive uh, uh, what the Bible calls your, of your increase, part of it is seed and part of it is uh, for bread. Okay. Part of it is to meet Your needs. God is cool with all of your needs being met, and He wants you to be blessed, and there's nothing wrong with that. He provides seed to the sower and bread for food. But then, listen to this it says, and then He will supply and multiply. So He gives seed to the sower, bread for food, and then He will supply. And one place it says increase. I like where it says the New King James, multiply. You know I like that word. What does he supply and multiply? Bread? Mm -mm. He supplies and multiplies your seed. Your seed. And will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so you can be enriched in every way so that why? You can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I'll unpack that in a little bit. So he gives you uh, seed and bread, but he doesn't multiply the bread. He multiplies the seed. Oh, this is so big and I hope you get this, but he doesn't multiply, by the way, revelations regarding seed. He doesn't multiply random seed. A scattered seed, just throwing it up anywhere, going through a grocery line. Hey, would you like to give to this? You're going through that. Hey, would you like to do that? Like the like people call you up eh, and you're scattering seed all the place. No, he he multiplies sown seed, not scattered seed, okay? Not seed you just found in your pocket, your sock, your ashtray, you know, things like that, your drawer. No, 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 no. This is seed that is sown. Another revelation is that God gave me is, you're not throwing away seed. Um, You are sowing seed in a certain way and in a certain soil. Think through the lens of a farmer. A farmer puts seed in the ground, but he just doesn't throw it all up in the ground. He sows it in rows strategically, and he sows it in good, prepared, healthy soil. Where are you putting your seed? The church of Jesus Christ, I believe this church, is good soil. I believe it's important that you take the seed, a portion of what God has given you for bread and for seed. He gave you a portion of that. You need to sow that strategically. Now here's what happens. Multiplication, supply and multiply, multiplication or increase, only happens when you sow in a, when you sow and you sow it strategically. OK? Farmers again, sow in a row, farmers sow in good soil. Then what happens is, through us you will see it produces fruit, and people are thankful to God as a result. So in summary, so far as we unpack 2 Corinthians 9: 10 and 11, God is saying, "I want to make sure you're taken care of." But I, and I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to give you bread, and that's for you. But I want you, I'm going to give you seed, and I want you to sow that so that you can help other people. Sow, S-O-W, so that you'd S-O, help other people. But here's the scary part, okay? The scary part coming up. In order for you to sow so that you can see those things happen, so you can see multiplication, you're going to have to bury it in the ground. You're going to have to bury it. In other words... This principle works because I put it in a place where I can't see it. I have to walk away. I have to give it. I have to release it. You can't see sown seed. It's different because it's a kingdom principle. It requires trust. It requires faith. A lot of the sowing A lot of seed planting that you're doing now, you want to see it all. But for it to multiply, you have to bury it. You have to turn it over. You have to get to a place where I can't see it. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. God God wants you to be in that place. You remember the story of the little boy's lunch. Um, and the the feeding of the five thousand, right? Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, a little Captain D's little fish sticks and some and some and some and some uh, muffins or whatever he had, and some rolls. And Jesus is out there in Luke chapter nine, and he's feeding five. It says five thousand. Uh, households. Theologians believe there was 25,000 people because heads of households is what it was talking about. So as much as 25,000 people out there, he's preaching and he's preaching all day long. I mean, he's just, he is laying it out. The thing is, all the people that come to hear him and want to hear him, they didn't know he's going to preach in all day. And so they didn't bring any food except this one little boy, 24,999 people, only one little boy, you know, remembers to pack his lunch, which is interesting. But the people didn't bring any food, so the disciples are watching the crowd, and in the middle of his preaching, they kind of urge Peter, go up there and, and tell them the people are hungry. And so Peter comes up to Jesus in the middle of his message. It'd be like, somebody interrupted me right now, and just come in, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be bad, you know, like, don't do that right now. And Peter, comes up, Jesus, excuse me, hey, hey, great message. In fact... It's a great series of messages. I'm I'm loving it. Like, I could go all day. I could go all day. But here's the thing Uh, the people. They're getting hungry. Not me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, this is like food for me. I could do this all day. But the people are super, super hungry. And, and so we think they need to get some food. Maybe we need to break time out this meeting and kind of move it along. And so Jesus, he's like, okay, okay, uh, what is this guy doing? And he basically says, um, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want? And so Peter's like, I think we need to feed them. And so, and so Jesus says, well, then you feed them. Peter's like, well, I he didn't see that coming. And so he gets off the stage or whatever, and he goes and he finds this kid. And I think they confiscated this kid's lunch. And they all start talking. Like, what do you say? What do you say? He says, we gotta feed him. He said, We can't feed him. All we have is this little lunch. Because we'll go bring it to him. And when he sees that's all we have, maybe he'll maybe he'll end the service. So they bring the lunch to Jesus, and Jesus is like, What do you got? He's like, Yeah, this, this is all we got, God. This is all we have. He's like, Okay, good. Tell him to sit down in groups of 50. Peter's like, come again? Groups of 50, like, this isn't enough. Tell them to sit down. Okay, so he goes back, tells the guys, the guys get everybody to sit down, and then they're they're all over the place. He says, okay, now give me the meal. Give me the meal. And look, here's here's what happens, okay? Bring me the boys' lunch. Luke chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus says, give me the meal. He says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up into heaven, he gave thanks. So he blessed the meal, and then he broke it. He blessed it, and then he broke it. Now, how many people want Jesus to bless your resources? Come on, raise your hand if you want Jesus. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm setting you up now. If you didn't know that, I'm setting you up, okay? So he blessed it, and he broke it. And here's what happens. They come to God, in essence, with this meal, this whole meal, and he gives it back broken. Let me say it another way. It comes this big, and then it gets smaller. See, I don't know about you, but I I always thought when I ask God, when I pray and I ask God to bless something, I thought like that's when it multiplies. Like I thought they he prayed, he blessed it, and then boom, blessings like popcorn to me. I just kind of imagine every like the bread's like going like growing like crazy. Nah, that's not what happened right here. Okay, look, it says it says it says he blessed it and then he broke it and then he tells them, go give it away. I want you to go give it away. So you start. They're like, all I have is this much. And he gives a little bit to one disciple, a little bit to another disciple. And then he tells them to take that little bit and go out into the crowd and start feeding these groups of 50. And they're going, he's breaking off a piece like, this is so confusing. What am I doing? This is never going to last. Don't take so much. Like, don't you see how little I have? And he's getting to another person. He's going through this thing. And it's getting less and it's less and less. And I'm not sure exactly if this is how it happened. But maybe he got down to the final piece and then, boom, it just started to multiply. Or another piece was there. I don't know. But it's... Listen, here's the thing. The miracle of multiplication didn't happen when he blessed it. The miracle of multiplication happened when he gave it away, when they all started doing what he said, and they sowed it into the community that was there. Because when you sow, you are not throwing something away. When you sow, you are sowing into a kingdom principle that always works. Every seed that you sow will multiply a harvest that is greater than you could ask, you could think, or you could imagine when you're trusting God. And so a lot of people today are not living like that. They're getting all you can, canning all you can, and they're sitting on their can. But they want want to know, can God do something? And God can do something if you sow it. Amen? Amen. Number three, write this down. Number three kind of principle under this core value of generosity is this. When you are grateful, oh, you will be generous. When you are grateful, you will be generous. Now, a lot of people are, my dad used to call them ingrates. He had this like strong word, you know, a bunch of ingrates. And the thing is, we're all prone to selfishness because we were born selfish. But in Christ, we are born again to be generous. You have been given in Christ a new nature, a new identity. Listen, a new inclination to love others who love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to, to give, to serve, uh, to be generous to other people, and so that has to be fostered. Though uh, that has that 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 has to be exercised for it to get stronger. If we don't use it, it gets weaker, and we'll have a uh, we can we can find ourselves resorting back to or living in our old nature. So I think we have a responsibility to live in this identity, this this God nature. God's nature is generosity. For God so loved the world, he gave. The first letter in God's name is G, and I think it stands for generous. And the first letter in Satan's name is S, and I think it stands for selfish. Selfish. This next story that I want to highlight, and I'll conclude on this story today, reveals two natures, two, you could say, spirits um, that we see. We see a generous spirit, and we see a selfish spirit. One in Mary, and then one in Judas. One in Judas. And this is a famous text Not because I said so, but because Jesus said so. In John chapter 12, verses 1, I'm going to read this to you. In John 12, 1 through 8, this is before the Passover. And Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus once lived. And, and, And Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're at a dinner given in Christ's honor. And Martha is serving them while Lazarus is among them reclining at the table. Remember that. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, she pours it on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair and the house was filled with fragrant perfume. This is an amazing story, I'm sure some of you have heard this before. And then it says this, contrast, here's That's the first spirit. Contrast, but one of his disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. I think he did this privately, not publicly, and said, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cares about the poor. He said this because he was a thief. So money clearly controlled Judas. But this woman, back to her, offers the most extravagant offering that probably we see in the New Testament. And the Bible uh, says that in other places, in, uh, the, same, the same story, sometimes different facts. But it was one year's wages. Can I just ask you a question? How much money do you make in a year? Of course, don't answer that out loud. But do you make $30,000 a year? Do you make $50,000 a year? Do you make $100,000 a year? Do you make two hundred fifty thousand? If you make two hundred fifty thousand dollars, could you raise your hand? I'm just looking. I just... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, sort of. Anyway, but the the point is, whatever you make in a year, that was this gift. Just put that in perspective. Put yourself in the shoes. She earned enough to get this and whether it was her earnings or whether it was something that she 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 over time accrued she gave what was the equivalent in proportion to one year's wages she broke it she opened it up she poured it out on Christ's body and 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 some of it probably spilled all over the floor it's just unbelievable she was so moved she was so moved by what By something, okay? But Jesus was so moved too. In fact, I think it's in uh, Matthew chapter 14. He says something like, wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told as a memorial of what this woman has done. And then six days later, he dies for her and he dies for all of humanity. She didn't know that. And neither the, the, the disciples weren't paying attention, even though he had said that. Jesus has a generous spirit. Judas did not have a generous spirit. And Judas in verse six says what a lot of people think. Why, did, why, did he, why didn't he give that to the poor? He could have done something, she, she could have done something better with that. And and this is kind of a it's kind of a classic cover-up for stinginess, for selfishness, and sometimes for the heart of a thief. And when someone you know, is being blessed by God and blessing others, sometimes people who have this heart they excuse their stinginess, and they excuse sometimes uh, their lack of generosity, and they criticize others who are being blessed and who are probably blessing others as well. And in this moment, while he's doing that, he is stealing from the money bag. He's doing that. And, and he, one phrase, it says, some people are so crooked, they'll sell their mother. Judas sold his savior for 30 pieces of silver. Most people Most people that that have a have trouble giving criticize other people uh, who do and how they live. Do you know actually there's levels of giving in the Bible? There's the tithe. That's uh, you know there's ten percent the tithe. There's offerings that's above tithing, and then there's what we see in this story: extravagant giving. Over and above sometimes it's referred to in the Old Testament. Here's what happens at these different levels. When you tithe, God in Malachi rebukes the devourer. So everything you have is protected and insured. When you bring offerings, that's why he says, I'll rebuke the devourer. Then he says, when you bring your tithes and offerings, it says in Malachi 3. The offerings open up the windows of heaven so God can pour out a blessing you can't contain. See, a lot of times we don't get to the blessing we can't contain because we stop at the first level. But to be truthful, the third level, of course, is extravagant giving. We'll come back to that. But most people never get to the first level of giving, which is tithing. In fact, statistically, of evangelicals who call themselves born-again Christians... 12% 12% of evangelicals actually tithe. What's even more scary than that is the trend towards the next generations, millennial and Gen Z, uh, are even less. In fact, Gen Z is 1%. 1% of born-again evangelical Christians tithe. So what we will see, by the way, if you look in your church, you see the white-haired people, the bald-headed people. They're probably the ones, they're almost always all tithing, Okay. But we have to be careful also to pass down these habits and practices to the next generation. Otherwise, the church is going to suffer lack. It's going to suffer lack, and the gospel will not be able to be perpetuated and promoted. Now, even when I start talking about this, certain people get up, they get tight and start feeling uneasy. Some people are going to the bathroom right now. You know, getting up. I don't need to hear this right now. It's amazing how many people get up to go to the bathroom when I start talking about money or when there's an offering in a church. It's crazy. I, I think sometimes we need to put like you got to pay for every flush or something like that because so many people get up during this time. We got to find some way to get you in the habit. But but listen it's like when you go to a doctor and, and, and they, they evaluate you and they start poking around and does that hurt? Does that hurt? Does that hurt? And all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that kind of hurts. Well, and then they go, Well, that's not supposed to hurt. We're gonna have to investigate that. That's how it is when people are not tithers, when people are not givers. It hurts. And I just want to say something to you. Dr. Fry is not the problem. The fact that it hurts has to do with something on your end. Tithers and givers, they love this conversation. They love talking about this kind of stuff. And I'm just trying to say to you, that's something that's going on with you. That's not something that's going on with me. And I'm not trying to get anything from you. I don't, we don't, we're, our church is blessed. That's not the point of this message. We can do more when people give more, but we are blessed. And so that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what God's trying to talk to you about. And that is your heart if this hurts a little bit. So by the way, isn't it interesting that God gave Judas the responsibility of handling the money? Why would he do that? I think sometimes it's because he t- God wants to test us in the areas of our weakness so that he can give us more later. So if you're faithful in a little, God will give you more, you know, and so I think Judas failed miserably. Let's not be. Let's not have a Judas spirit. Let's have a Mary spirit in this situation. We have to handle. We have to handle things right. We, if we steward resources well, God will give us more influence and authority. It's a fact, Jack. It works. In fact, one of the reasons. On top of that, one of the reasons that we steward the money well here as a church, and me as the head of this this church, is number one, I don't want to go to jail, okay, somebody. And number two, I don't want to go to hell, okay. But I also think we definitely can handle the money. I can't even believe what people do with money. It's unbelievable. But it's so important we handle it well because it increases our influence and our spiritual authority. Now, this last level of giving is significant because you see this extravagant giving. Maybe you've never experienced that before. Maybe you've never done that. A few times in my life, I know what it's like to go over and above, and it is life-changing. Mary did it. David did it. Solomon did it. He gave a 1,000 bulls when he only had to give one, decimating his natural business in the natural, but God blessed him because he did that. You see this in the life of Abraham, giving his one and only son. You see this in Abel when he gave his first fruits, best offering to God. See, There is another level of giving, and each one will be transformational in your life. But let's go back to the story with Mary. Why did she pour out a year's wages on Christ? Now, you think it's just some spiritual reason, but I think there's a motivation. Remember, when we're generous because... We're grateful, all right? John 12 is all about pouring the perfume on Jesus uh, and, and for him, preparing him for his burial. But in order to appreciate why she would be so extravagant, you've got to go back to John chapter 11. What happens in John chapter 11? Uh, Jesus' friend dies, and Jesus goes to him Three days after he's been in the tomb and on the fourth day shows up. And in John 11, look at this as we conclude. John 11, 43 says, when he had said this, Jesus called to the tomb in a loud voice. And he says, Lazarus, come out, come out. Imagine this moment. He's been dead. He's wrapped up you know and the bible says the dead man came out and 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 his his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face and Jesus said take off all those things and let him go this is amazing understand they had just been mourning. they were in a season of mourning and and Mary's brother was Lazarus he was the one who was raised from the dead and then in John 12 there You see in the first part, they're eating a meal together with Jesus in Jesus' honor. And who's at the table, reclining at the table? Yep, Lazarus. He's there at the meal, Mary's brother. And I think what happens is she can't even process this event because... Approximately, according to commentaries, a month before, her brother was in a tomb dead. They wept for him day after day after day, night after night, total sadness. And Jesus comes and raises her brother from the dead, brings him back to life. He's no longer in the tomb and he's sitting at the dinner table with Christ having Chick-fil-A or something like that. Okay, and so she, I think, gets totally overwhelmed with gratitude and she has to do something. She can't just give a praise and a little hand clap, little praise break kind of moment. No. She does something over and above, something extra, extravagant. See, a generous heart comes from a grateful heart. And you're like, Petey, that's awesome. If I had something like that happen to me, I'd be that generous. I would, be, I would do something like that. But the Bible says, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God saved you. God delivered you. God forgave you. Where does it say that? In Colossians chapter 3, 2, verse 13, it says, when you were spiritually dead because of your sins and because you were not free from the power of your sinful self. God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. Think about the things that God has done for you. He saved maybe your children from a, a life of, of sin and deception. And maybe he rescued your marriage. Maybe he re- redeemed your, your, your story where there was a train wreck, a, a history a mile long behind you of, of tragedy and trial. And God turned all those things around. Maybe he healed your body. Maybe he healed your mind. I feel like a song. He saved me just in time. Anyway, I'm going to praise his name. I wish wish I had a B3 organ behind me right now because I would tear it up. But he, he did all these things for you. So yes, you have something to be grateful for. And as a result, you can be generous too. So I don't know, you know, if you got Christ in your house right now eating with your miracle, but Christ is in this house right now. And maybe your miracle is just a hop, skip and a jump away. If you can find the motivation. Again And allow the Holy Spirit to do something, to give you that desire, to give you that will. Maybe if you would trust God with the law of sowing and reaping. And maybe if you would once again realize all the things you should be grateful for, you could be generous too. Amen. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, at every location, all over the world. Maybe here locally, online campus. Maybe you're on YouTube, maybe you're on Facebook. I want to pray for you right where you are. I want to pray for your heart. Would you just close your eyes and bow your head and let me, let me speak to your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person who is listening within the sound of my voice, I believe it's almost like somebody who had a cure for cancer. I believe generosity is the cure for the cancer of the heart. Those things that make us uh, just um, critical, those things that, that, that make us negative, those things that cause us to look at the world, you know, at the glass half full, excuse me, half empty and not half full. God, all those things are connected to a grateful heart. All those things are connected to one who would trust God with what's in our hand and bury it. We would sow it and not see it and trust you with it. Lord, all those things are connected to you doing a work in our heart, giving us the desire and the willingness to obey you. I pray in Jesus' name that you would do that supernaturally for brothers and sisters all over the place, that they would have that desire to do what pleases you in Jesus' name. And for the one who's far from God right now, I want to give you that chance to say yes to Jesus, to come close, to know what it's like. He, he loves you. God, in John three sixteen, so loved the world he gave his son. It was the ultimate gift, the ultimate gift. It was the the best offering. The, the, The word says that the father lavished his love on us. How? By giving us his son. And so if you want to receive what Jesus did for you, he paid for your sins so you can be grateful and live with a grateful heart. I want you to say this. I want you to say, Jesus, today I make you my savior and my Lord. I receive my debt paid because of what you did on the cross. My trespasses, my sins, past, present, future, forgiven right now by grace through faith in Jesus name. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, your life has been changed. You no longer are selfish. You have been born again to be generous. And I want to celebrate with you, and I pray that everybody listening within the sound of my voice begins to celebrate what God has done for all those people who made that decision. If you did, click the little link below. Say, that was me. I just made that decision. Somebody wants to pray with you and kind of walk you through a journey, take you on to your next steps. And we want to send you a book as well to help you with what happens next. We actually have a book. It's called What? what is next so i want you to text cc save to 97000 cc save to 97000 and we will send you that book please talk to somebody online please pray with somebody at one of our locations don't leave with a prayer need not addressed we're here for you god bless you i will see you next sunday as we continue our series on core values amen